Ah, summer holidays. Things feel a little bit more relaxed, even if you are still working, doesn't it? It feels a bit more relaxed, summer holidays. Yes? No? Anyone? Good, good. Just me. <laughs> okay, so today we are still in our series called The King and His Cross. And what we are doing when we're going through the book of Mark, we're trying to really look at who is Jesus, because we want to encounter the real Jesus. We don't want to just imagine who he is or assume that we already know who he is. We want to really dive into the word and see exactly who he is. And so we're in Mark and we've gotten to chapter nine and we're going to go to verse 14. But just to give you a little bit of a context moment, a little bit of a backdrop to this, what we've seen so far is the disciples have been traveling with Jesus. They've seen him do countless incredible things, miraculous things, And just recently in the last couple of chapters, we've seen him point out the fact that often we think we know, don't we? We think we know what's going on in situations. We think we know what's going to happen. And actually Jesus time and time again is putting his disciples in situations where it turns out actually they don't know. They don't know because they're not looking to him. And that's where we've come to. We've come to last, actually not last week, but the week before, Scott Robertson was here from our St. Macker site, and he preached on the Transfiguration, <clears throat> excuse me, which is the bit just before what we're about to read. Transfiguration is where James, Peter, no, yes, Peter, James, and John go up the mountain with um, Jesus, and they see the glory of God, and they also see Moses and Elijah, and it's just this incredible moment where the heavens open. And Peter is the guy who uh, wants to stay there because it's an amazing moment. And he's like, let's pitch tent. Let's stay here because this is incredible. I'm recognizing this is an incredible moment. And what we learn from that moment is often when we have these moments with Jesus, when we have these special sweet encounters with him, we want to stay in that place. We don't want to leave. But actually, Jesus calls us to go up the mountain and have those moments, but he calls us to come back down and go out into the world. And what we see here is typical of all the other mountaintop experiences throughout the Bible, uh, where they go up, they see Jesus, they see God, or they have some kind of encounter, and then immediately they're faced with the world. I liken it a bit to when, a bit like when Moses goes up the mountain, and he gets the Ten Commandments, doesn't he? He gets them on um, stone tablets, scribed especially by God, and he has this ridiculous encounter with God. And then as he comes back down the mountain, lo and behold, the people are all there. They've made golden calves because they didn't really know when he was coming back and they needed to worship something. And so they thought they would just worship some gold. And so you, you just see this parallel all the time, and it's what we're seeing, or certainly what's jumping out at me as we're going through Mark. There's this kind of parallel the whole time with ridiculous encounters crazy moments with God and then the world is just so different and this moment is no different from that. I am likening it for us today because this is how my mind works so sorry about that but I'm liking it a bit to a domino run. So imagine a domino run if you will. I have some for you to look at. Uh, A domino run, I don't know if you've looked up on YouTube any crazy domino runs. Some of them are bonkers like they go on for days and days and days and days and you can imagine how much time they take setting all of those up but if you're anything like me and you try and replicate that with your kids never goes quite as well as I expect it to (laughs) after having watched it online 
It doesn't take much, does it, for one of those dominoes to be just a little bit out of place. I don't actually know if it's going to work for them not. Ah, mine fell over, yay. Uh, but it doesn't take much, does it, for one to be just a little bit too far away or a little bit too much to the left or the right. And actually, it doesn't fall all the way through. And the reason I'm saying all of this is because when we have Jesus, we want his power to flow all the way through us and all the way out into the community. We want him to have free reign in our lives so that he can have free reign in our communities and in the lives of those around us. But if we have one thing that's just a little bit out of kilter, then often it provides a big blockage to him. And so, hence the domino run. We're going to look at this conversation that happens between Jesus and um, a crowd that have gathered and then his disciples. And we're going to just have a little look at what dominoes might be out of place for them. What are the things that are preventing Jesus from having this miraculous power in their lives? So I'm just going to pray before we read from his word today. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that every word in this book is living and breathing, that it is truth. And Lord, I pray that as I speak out what I think you have for us today, Lord, that you would land the um, drops of gold into people's hearts, the bits that you know are for them. Lord, we want to leave here changed. We want to leave here challenged. We never want to get comfortable. So we just pray, have your way this morning. Amen. Okay, so we're going to Mark 9, verse 14. And it's entitled, Jesus Heals a Boy Possessed by an Impure Spirit. Good point. Thanks, Brian. If you don't have a Bible with you today, how could I forget this bit? If you don't have a physical Bible with you and you would like to read along with us, um, then pop your hand in the air and we will get one out to you. I'll let Brian do that for you. Thanks. And just while you're getting to your pages, if you're new to the Bible, then it, this is the New Testament that we're going to. It's one of the books towards the end, the last kind of quarter of your book. It's Mark 9, verse 14. It says this. It should come up on the screen behind me too. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing, arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. He doesn't mince his words ever, does he, Jesus? How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. 
It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus has, had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus replied, this kind can, only be, uh, can come out only by prayer. Amen. So there are so many things that we could talk about just from that small chunk of scripture this morning, but the few of the things that jumped out at me were the words if and but. And isn't it true that we fill our lives with ifs and buts? <laughs> We've always got them. We use them as excuses all the time. And it's safe, the same is true here. There are ifs and buts all over the place. And what I would like to suggest is that some of these ifs and buts are the very dominoes that are not in place when these guys are thinking about the power of Jesus running through them and out into um, this boy particularly. Uh, there's a blockage there. There's something not in the way. So we're going to look from three perspectives this morning. We're going to look at the crowd's perspective. We're going to look at the father's perspective and we're going to look at the disciples' perspective. And we're just going to see what information we can glean and what that might mean for us. So first of all, the crowd. What is their domino? It seems to me that their domino is arguing, <laughs> which would mean anger and fear, right? So when we look at verse 14, they were arguing. Jesus, James, Peter, John, just come down the mountain having this incredible experience and what they're met with is an angry crowd. <laughs> an angry crowd of people who are all arguing with one another. But why? Why is it that we argue? What do we argue for? Well, we argue when we're angry or scared, don't we? Predominantly. There's many other things like, you know, our husband's not putting things in the right place or many other things. Sorry, Brian. Um, but predominantly, it comes down to, when you think of almost any argument you've had, predominantly, it'll come down to some sort of fear or insecurity in you that led to you feeling angry in that moment. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of psychology I could go into this moment, but I don't have that at my fingertips, so I'm not going to. But what we see with these people is they've taken this boy to the disciples, okay? So they've heard these guys, they've been with Jesus they know how to drive out demons. We'll take him there. The disciples have tried. It doesn't tell us what they've done. It doesn't tell us what words they used or what it is that they did when they prayed for this boy. But clearly it hasn't worked. And the crowd are now angry, aren't they? And they're terrified because, well, we thought we'd brought this boy to the right place. And now it turns out that this is not the right place or that actually you guys don't have the power. 
You can almost imagine two um, groups of people within this crowd. You can imagine the groups of people that were saying, I knew it. I knew they couldn't do it. I told you. I told you that he, they didn't have the power. I told you that this wasn't the Messiah. I told you. And they're getting quite angry. Or you can imagine the other ones terrified. Wait a minute. We've, we've kind of given our lives to this Jesus. And now all of a sudden... He's not able to drive out demons or, or actually his disciples are. Well, what, what does that mean for us? I find it really interesting that only moments after that, in the very next verse, they turn and see Jesus coming down from the mountain, who's probably still shining from the glory of God. They go from being angry and arguing, they turn and see Jesus, And what it says in verse 15 is that they are overwhelmed with wonder. And it just made me think, what is it that makes us go from being so angry or so confused or so fearful to all of a sudden be overwhelmed with wonder? Well, it's Jesus. That's what happens when you're in the presence of Jesus. And it can only be Jesus that does that. Jesus is the only one, because at these moments, he's the one that's been up the mountain. He's the one that's been in the presence of God. And when we look through the chapters before Mark, he's the one, and and after this point in Mark, uh, Jesus is the one that regularly takes himself off, doesn't he? Because he says, I can only do what my father has done, or I see my father doing. He has to go back to see what God is doing. And so in this moment, it's Jesus that turns their hearts immediately, and they go from being very angry or terrified to suddenly being overwhelmed with wonder. I want that in my life. All these moments that we have where we think, hold on, why is this not working? Hold on, I thought I'd done it right. I want to be able to be suddenly in the presence of Jesus and be overwhelmed and for all that fear and anger to just disappear. You see the crowd again led by their emotions in verse 26 when Jesus does actually pray for this boy and something does actually happen but what do they see? They see he suddenly stops convulsing And so clearly he's dead. They jump to conclusions immediately. And isn't that true, guys? In our lives, we are so led by what we see right in front of us. Or so led by the emotion that comes along with those things. That we don't take a moment to actually trust and know. This is Jesus that's just prayed for this boy. Of course something's going to happen. I've only had a few moments like this, so I can't claim to know exactly how to do it. Uh, But I can liken it to a few moments that Brian and I have had since we've moved here. Life, as you can imagine, suddenly got a little bit busier for us. Um, and, And I'm assuming that like most other people, when you're really busy, life gets quite a bit harder. Suddenly, you're led by your emotions a bit more. Maybe it's just me. In those moments when I feel really overwhelmed, my emotions are what's dictating what's happening in the room. And my poor husband and children, they they reap the cost of that. 
And quite often, if I come home having had, you know, a hundred things to do on my list, and I haven't achieved maybe more than two of them, and I come home in that really kind of busy, overwhelmed, frustrated, really annoyed um, kind of frame of mind, all it will take is something simple like my, hus my lovely husband, by the way, saying, what are we having for dinner? We have a list, for goodness sake. We are very organized people. There is a list on the wall. We have bought the shopping in. You should know what's going on. You know exactly what we're having for dinner. And really what he meant was, darling, I realize you haven't taken the chicken out of the freezer last night. What, what would you like for tea? But that one, that one comment sends me into, I can't be the only one that manages this household, and sends me into an absolute spin of anger and actually quite insecure because clearly I'm not managing my household very well if I didn't take the chicken out of the freezer, quite frankly. But, and that's a really silly example of how we can be led by our emotions and how actually the person on the other side of that isn't helped out in that moment, are they? Whereas you can imagine if I wasn't led by my emotions in that moment and I said something like, well, you know, I hadn't taken the chicken out of the freezer, so what would you like for dinner? Things might have gone a little bit better, right? But this crowd, they're not there to show us how terrible they are, that we are. They're there to show us how normal we are. When you put yourself into these stories, often we can identify with the crowd because very often we find ourselves in exactly the same situation. And that's where we find ourselves here. So the domino that they are um, missing, that they haven't got, that is leaving a blockage to Jesus running right the way through their lives in this situation is anger and fear. So let's not be led by our emotions. Let's have regular encounters with Jesus so that even when we are, even when we do get into those moments, Let's try and have a little voice in our says that says, hold on a moment, you need to stop. You need to worship Jesus because your life is not void of him. You need to stop and put on a worship song, stop wherever you are and pray. Because I can honestly tell you in those moments, and there haven't been nearly as many of them as there should be, but in those moments when Brian and I have just stopped and said, actually, we, we need to pray in this moment. We don't need to be trying to figure this out. We don't need to be trying to argue about it. What we need is we need Jesus to speak into it. And when we've done that, the most incredible things happen. Because when we surrender our emotions to Jesus in those moments, big things happen. He takes it. He takes it from us. And that's what we want. Stop. Pray. Have an encounter with him. Because when they did realize only moments later, Jesus put out his hand, lifted this boy up, and he was alive. And suddenly they could see the truth. And they need not have actually been scared in the first place. Let's look at the father's reaction. The father has come from this point of view of unbelief. And he says that in his own words, help me with my unbelief, doesn't he? Verse 17 he says, I took uh, my boy to these disciples. 
I thought they could heal him, but they couldn't. But, but they couldn't. Verse 21, if you can, if you can, Jesus, if you can do something, please do it. It's quite often how we approach our prayers, isn't it? God, what I see in front of me is this. I thought you were going to do something about this, but you haven't. If you can, please will you, if you can. It's so easy, guys, to get jaded when we approach everything with that perspective, with kind of a um, worldly pair of glasses on. It's so easy to rack and stack lots and lots of disappointments. And when we do that, we're on shaky ground. The only way I can think of to um, demonstrate this point is to pile up my dominoes. So let's say, for example, I have a friend who uh, is ill and I've been praying for them for a long, long time and they don't seem to be getting better. So I am getting more and more and more disappointed because I thought Jesus could do it. If you can, Jesus, then I want you to do this. I want you to heal this person. Or, or I've been praying for our financial situation because, quite frankly, we need more money. Or, or maybe you've been praying for a job and it hasn't happened. Maybe you've been praying for your boss because actually they're quite mean. They totally don't get you. They don't do what you want them to do. They don't understand your perspective. Maybe you've been praying for... Maybe you've been praying for your children because actually you really want your children to just do what you've asked them to do when you've asked them to do it. Let's face it. I've asked you to put your shoes on five times. You haven't put your shoes on. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe for some of you younger people, it's your parents that are driving you crazy because they keep asking you to do something you don't want to do. Maybe you have older parents. Oh, I'm going to keep going. And actually it's really difficult Things aren't happening the way you wanted them to happen. Suddenly you're looking after elderly parents that you didn't think you'd have to look after. Maybe you've been praying. Okay, good. Good, we don't have to go any further. Do you see what happens when we rack and stack, thank you, all these disappointments? Our world suddenly comes crashing down round about us. Because what we've done when we haven't even meant to we haven't been aware of what we've been thinking. We haven't been intentionally looking after our thought life. But what we've done is we've racked and stacked a list. And we know about God because it says so in the Bible that he doesn't keep a record of our wrongs. And so why should we keep a record of his? Because if we're keeping a record of what we think he hasn't done, actually it's not even truthful because he's working in the background. We have to trust that. The Bible says it over and over and over and over again. And just because we can't see it happening in front of us, like this crowd suddenly could see, just because we can't see that doesn't mean he's not working. I was reminded again, even just this morning, praying with someone, there's a verse in Daniel 10. You can um, look it up later. It's, the whole book of Daniel is incredible. But it talks about... Um, God being delayed by the prince of Persia. 
And there's a whole big story behind it all. But it's one of those moments and one of those verses that when you read it, you think, oh, actually, there's a spiritual battle happening here. God is actually working on my behalf, and that's why he's delayed. So if I rack and stack all of these things, actually, God is thinking, hold on, just wait. I am working. And you can imagine Jesus, although he doesn't say it, you can imagine him saying, hang on, everyone, he's not dead. Just wait. And for this father, when he says, if you can, Jesus must be thinking, you haven't got it yet. You just haven't got it yet. And you see a little bit of that frustration come out, don't you? You unbelieving generation. He's thinking, gosh, my time has just about come to an end here, and you guys haven't got it. I know where I'm going. I'm heading to the cross. And there's a big reason why I'm doing that. And so this is important. You have to get it. You have to get it. These things that you don't see happening in your life, don't keep a catalog of them. Give every single one of them to Jesus. We were singing this morning, weren't we, um, about surrendering to him. Standing in awe in that overwhelmed state and surrendering everything to him. Because when we take every single domino, and maybe for you, you have a big list. And I would suggest that today is the best day to start that because you're suddenly aware of it. Take each one of them and say, God, I don't understand. Be honest with him. That's what he wants. I don't understand why you didn't do this. And give him every single domino because I can bet you his peace will fall in that moment. Or I can bet you that suddenly you will feel lighter because he's taking every single... That's why he went to the cross, guys is to take all of our stuff so that we don't have to. We don't have to walk around with this big, massive, heavy jacket carrying all of the stuff of the world and letting it pile up time and time and time again. Come to him and say, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Seems to me like this is one of the best questions, the best things that we can say to Jesus. When you're in that moment and you can't see past it, cling on. I do believe, but what's happening in front of me isn't helping my belief. Help me with my unbelief. His grace is enough for that. An encounter with Jesus in those moments is the solution for unbelief an encounter with Jesus. That's what we need to see. And so let's look at the disciples. This is my favorite reaction because it's the one I have every single time. Why? Why couldn't we drive it out? We see that in verse 28. But why? And you can imagine, and this is me adding on to what they're saying, which we shouldn't do but I'm just going to for the purposes for this moment. You can imagine they're thinking, okay, so we've seen Jesus cast out demons. We've seen him walk on water. We've seen him heal people. We've seen him do all these incredible things, and I have cataloged in my mind exactly how he did them. I know exactly the words he used. 
I, know, I even know the tone of voice he used in those prayers, and so I know exactly how to cast out these demons, thank you very much. And so when this man comes with his son and tells him all of this stuff that's been happening, you can imagine the disciples being like, I've got this one. We've seen this quite a few times. I know what I'm going to say. And they say it. Nothing happens. And so they probably say it again, maybe with a slightly different tone. And nothing happens. And you can imagine them thinking, well, what on earth is happening here? We've been told that we can do this. We've been told by Jesus that we are uh, commissioned to go and drive out demons. We saw that earlier on in Mark 3, where he gathers the disciples and then he sends them out. And he says, you can drive out demons. You can heal people. And that's what he says to us. And so why? Why does it not always happen? Why does it not happen for these people? I wish I had a really good answer for you. I wish I could stand here and say to you, if you say these words, that's, that's going to happen for you. Or if you read this verse aloud every day for the next three months, your life will definitely change. Or if you sing this song in this key, that's definitely going to change your life. Or when you pray this particular prayer over that person, they'll definitely be healed. I wish I could say all of that to you. But it's not true. And we're seeing it over and over and over again. Jesus is hammering home this point that it is not a formula. We wish it was. Just like parenting, we wish there was a book that told us exactly what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and then all will be well. There are many parenting books. I'm not sure I've found one that does exactly what I want it to do. This is exactly the same, guys. We wish there was a certain prayer we could say, a certain part of the Bible that we could go to, and then all would be well. But it's not true. It is true that there are lots of things in the Bible that will facilitate and help us in these moments. And it is true that prayer is massively important because that's how he leads it. This kind will only come out with prayer. But it is also true that there is no one prayer that is going to help. Why? Because it's not about the words we say. It's not about us. It's about God. It's one of those moments, isn't it? And I think you've probably all been in this position, probably at the end of services where people have come down to be prayed for. And you're stood there thinking, I should probably go and pray for someone. Oh, I can't do that. I don't know, I'm, I don't have fancy enough prayers for that. For years, I didn't go and pray for anyone because I wasn't brought up in church. So I don't know all of the traditional church language. I don't know when you say what you should say, when, how, tone, all, I didn't know any of that. I couldn't just recall a piece of scripture like that. And so therefore, clearly, I can't go and pray with someone. But what I was doing in that moment is putting myself first. I can't do that because, but I haven't been in church for my whole life, so I can't do that. Or if God, if you download a prayer to me, then I'll go. If God, if you tell me something really specific to say to that person, then I'll go. And we bargain, don't we? 
but it doesn't work because it's not about us. It's about going back to God. It's about completely relying on him. And so guys, if there's someone down here looking to be prayed for and you've been around in our church for a little while, there is no certificate that you have to wait for to come and pray. We would prefer you'd been around us for a little while so that you understand our culture and you get it. But there's no document that we're going to give you that says these are the only prayers you're allowed to say. These are the only things you should say. Because quite frankly, I'm commissioning you all to pray for anyone because it's not about the words you say. Even if all you say is, come Holy Spirit. You are merely the conduit to God working in that person. Because if you stand there and say a whole bunch of really lovely, heartfelt prayers, that person's going to go away thinking, that was lovely. They're so nice. Or, how did they know all of those words? I wouldn't know how to say all of those words to someone. But they're not going to come away having had an actual experience of Jesus because they were too busy listening to the words that you were saying. So when you're praying for each other, just invite God in. And then when you hear him speak, when you begin to think, oh, I think that might be a, a something, it is okay to say, I've had this picture for you. I have no idea if it's actually for you or if my imagination has just gone completely wild in this moment. It's okay to just say, I don't know if this is from God, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. Prayer is the key that unlocks God's kingdom. Prayer is the domino that if we have it lined up, it will release God's power in our lives and in the lives of those that we're praying for. If we get stuck in that moment of, I don't know if I'm saying it right. Oh gosh, I'm not quite sure what to say. They haven't even told me what they want prayer for. Oh no, how do I even know what I'm going to say? If we get stuck in that, then we're making it about us because we're suddenly really, really insecure. We don't understand what's happening and so all we can think of is ourselves. And the point is for that person to have a real encounter with Jesus. If we're just copying one another, then that's not going to work either. I've learned this lesson. <laughs> It's one of the biggest lessons I learned when I first came into ministry. Um, because let's face it, when you first start doing something, you can only do what you've seen other people doing, right? Jesus said it himself. He can only do what the Father does. So what do we do when we first start uh, in ministry or we first start learning a new thing? We copy what other people have done, right? Because they've done it that way and that works. And when you first do that, so for example, when I first came into ministry, it was in mainly music, a long time ago now, uh, in our first site in Gilk Park, and I randomly thought God had spoken to me, turns out he had, <laughs> about how there were so many mums in the community that really, really needed something. Lo and behold, the lovely Barbara, who is our area coach for mainly music, if you want to know anything about mainly music, speak to Barbara, uh, had been having conversations with Taryn at the same time about mainly music. I didn't know any of that. And so I just came forward to Taryn and said, wouldn't it be really cool if we had something for mums to come to? And Taryn was like, yes, it would. Let me give you some information. 
go on, off you go, go and start something. And so I had someone alongside me and we, um, we started Mainly Music in, in Gilk Park a number of years ago now. The only way I could make that happen was if I copied everything Barbara told me to do or if I copied everything that I'd seen when the other leaders that I'd gone to see did. Which gets you so far, right, <laughs> when you copy things. Like, it all goes really, really well because God's grace is amazing and he set that on fire. Loads of people came. It was incredible. After a little while, doing the same thing over and over and over, I came to realize, it doesn't actually, doesn't work. Well, what do, you, what do you mean there's no prayers in the prayer teapot? I've said exactly the same thing every single week and said to them that we're going to pray for them. Why would they not want us to pray for them? Because I've said the same thing every single week. But actually, it's not about that, is it? It's not about saying the same thing over and over. It's about communicating the heart and the vision. It's about relationship. Oh, you mean I'm actually supposed to speak to the mums, not just from the front. I'm supposed to actually tell them why I want to pray for them. Oh, okay. And the same is true when we came here. We could only be site pastors because we'd had a little bit of training and we had seen years and years and years worth of how other people do it. Copying what they do only gets you so far, it turns out. A little way in, we were like, hold on. We're doing everything everyone's told us to do. I'm not sure what to do next. What do we do next? Oh, we're meant to ask God what happens next. I see. If we didn't have regular moments with God, we'd actually be insane. Not going to lie, we would be insane. Because we'd be copying the same thing over and over and over and over and over and expecting a different result. And that's the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. It's the beauty of multi-site in our church. It's the beauty of the fact that we have so many other people that we can draw from that we can draw on their experience, that we can come to them and say, I have this situation, what did you do? What can I do? And it's an incredible thing. We could only be site pastors in this kind of setting. And that's the only reason we can do what we're doing. Apart from the fact that it was God that told us to be here. And so if we look at it with our human eyes, we'd be like, oh my goodness, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? How is this possible? What do we do next? There's no manual. Oh, my word. We have to bring everything back to God. And so here with these disciples, they were doing the same thing over and over. They thought they had it handled. And Jesus is teaching them a lesson and saying, guys, it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be a formula. You're going to have to shift gear sometimes. You're not always going to be in your stride. There are going to be regular moments in your life where you realize, oh, I actually need to just get on my knees before God and ask him to reveal himself in this situation because I just don't understand. And that is the point of this whole chapter. If I've said, if out of everything I've said, I want you to take away, prayer is the answer but it's not our words that are important. It's being in the presence of God that's important. Shall we stand?